Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic for IndieWire. Joined once again after a two-week hiatus by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, who got a well-deserved break after a very intense and unpredictable Oscar season to uh, somewhere south of the border. How did it go for you down there, Ann? I was in Guadalajara and uh, it was at the film festival there, and uh, I had a blast. I saw some great movies. I hung out with an awesome group of people who were real cinephiles, and we just from all over the world. The movies we watched were from all over the world, and so were were the people uh, I hung out with, and and they took good care of us. And it it was it was a lot to see seventeen <laughs> movies, but you know I'm not complaining. It's what I love. Uh, Guadalajara, people may not realize this, this is a pretty big festival. I mean, it's not Cannes or something, but it's for, for the, in the Latin American film industry, Guadalajara is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you must have felt like you were at a big festival on some level. Yes, absolutely. And, and very well uh, mounted and lots of support and big cinemas and, and uh, big parties, you know, good music, good food, uh, good restaurants in Guadalajara, sophisticated city with a lot of, um, it's sort of the San Francisco or of, of, uh, of Mexico. It's the second biggest city to Mexico City which is where you're heading. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. But, I, but tell me a little bit more about Guadalajara. Is it, I mean, uh, were the films uh, of a certain level of quality? Did you see some good stuff? So the uh, opening night movie was Fatou Aken's, uh Shtick, which was a big, big hit in Germany. As you may know, he's a Turkish-German filmmaker of some renown, uh, you know, directed head-on and some great music docs, you know, set in Turkey and stuff like that. But he's, he's a... Um, one of my favorite filmmakers. I really like him. He does docs, he does features, he does art films, and this is the most commercial thing I've seen him do. It's a coming-of-age story, um, very uh, based on a book that was a huge bestseller, and it was a big hit in Germany. And I find it really interesting that this movie, perfectly delightful, played very well for the crowd, uh, has not been picked up. In, well, it also it hasn't US. done any other, as far as I can tell, big festivals, right? I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't playing around, you know, Venice or something like that. It or, had another debut somewhere else. Somewhere or another. Can, but, but I mean, that's not the most... It was probably the Berlin Owl. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that kind yeah. of a movie, right? It's it's It seems like a name like that wouldn't even necessarily... That's a name filmmaker that I would think would, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why they didn't pick it up. They didn't pick it up because it's a it's about young kids, so it's sort of a young adulty kind of of genre, and it's it is very much of a crowd pleaser, and as such, it's a little bit of a tweener if it's foreign language. If it's foreign language, it needs to be an art film to come here. Basically, right. It's it has a tricky to be proposition. An absolute A plus. Great reviews. No, no. Uh, you know, for grownups. It right. How do you sell a foreign language movie unless it, it has a certain aura of specialness around it that's not, you know, what we're used to on a on the commercial spectrum? But that's this a, was this was a really great movie. But, but I'm sort of surprised, you, yeah, that you caught Fadi Akin one of your favorite filmmakers. I mean, I really liked. Uh, was it The Edge of Heaven, was like 10 years ago or something like that? He hasn't done a ton of stuff that we've gotten really excited about, you know, at least as far as I, I can tell. I saw a weird garbage documentary that he did. That oh, yeah, yeah, about, I remember that. You know, and Head On was really good, and the music doc that was set in Turkey, uh, The Bridge something. 
Crossing the bridge. Yeah. Crossing the bridge. That was I really wild, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you just recognize someone who has. Um, and I saw something else that I really liked. Of course, the name, I'd have to look it up. But um, uh, that was about a cook in a restaurant or something. That was very good. So Shtick um, is basically a road trip movie when we yes, know that genre well. That's right. That's right. So uh, I would just say, it, it, and, and at the end, it had, no, I'm not going to give away that. I'm not going to give that <laughs> away. But anyway, uh, I, then there was, the, but the, uh, there was also a, this huge, I was on this jury that was the, pr- pr- most of the, uh, material there at that festival is Latin American, but the international um, jury that I was on was judging a, 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 an entire program of gay films, basically LGBT films, and uh, I I was fascinated. I was absolutely uh, amazed. At, at this, just to, to see 17 movies on one aspect or another of, of gender identity and, and, and sexuality and, and, and discrimination and all the different forms. Some of them were coming of age. Some of them were uh, people dying. Some, some of them were, you know, groups of people and one of the people happened to be gay. It, it was an incredible cross-section of, of movies. And I would say that the ones that ended up being the, the most um, uh, beloved by, by the jury, uh, there was a movie from Germany called Looping that had this great trio of actresses who fall in love in a mental institution. <laughs> Sounds like a real charmer. No, they, it's sort of like a little bit of uh, Angelina Jolie and Winona Ryder, uh, but but uh, much more sexy and fun. Actually, it wasn't a downbeat movie, and they heal each other in a in a good way. And then um, uh, a movie called Heartstone, uh, which is from Iceland, which was a coming of age movie with two great young teenage actors so what what, um, what what got the top prize a movie uh, the, the third movie we loved was called uh corpo electrico from brazil heartstone had been an electric body i assume that trans- yes yes uh, that had gotten a lot of prizes and attention and very slick very very well made very beautiful uh, a first-time filmmaker named gunnardson who i think will have a future any good uh, any good fights among the jury about that one or was it yeah we argued true? a lot okay. um, <laughs> that's always what makes the jury experience worthwhile right you don't want unanimity that's boring consensus is boring Electrico was was a more of a discovery um and and um you, you know a much grittier more uh, in innovative kind of um, movie you'd never seen before. Totally unpredictable. You know, it's funny. I actually, when we were on a jury together for AFI Fest, we gave a prize to that Mexican film Guero. So you remember that? The black and white film? I sure do. That was a good one. Yeah. And so that filmmaker is now shooting a film called Museo outside of Mexico City, where I'm going to be shortly. So I was corresponding with him about maybe doing a set visit. Sounds like it's probably not going to work out, but I thought it was kind of interesting. That's going to have Gal Garcia Bernal on it. But I remember when we talked about uh, that movie, we were thinking like, oh, that filmmaker could really make some really strong movies. I mean, that's what's cool about being on a jury where you're talking about first films or people at earlier stages of their careers, right? It's just sort of 
pushing for somebody like that. All of these these filmmakers uh, again, I'm I'm pretty sure his name was Caetano, that director, the uh, Brazilian one. Um, so we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, then then I then I went to Ahihik for a real vacation and had had fun down by Lake Chapala, and. Uh, and now I'm back and it's Emmy season and we had our Emmy season award lunch today and I'm watching um, I'm with a great deal of pleasure Mark Harris's Five Came Back, which has been turned from a book into a very good uh, three-part uh, miniseries doc for uh, Netflix. Right. Of course, Netflix, which owns everything and does everything now so you know is that tv is it a movie who knows you have to get to the end of it i think this is a very good example of that because they thought about making it as a two-hour uh feature and they recognized everybody involved steven spielberg and there's a host of producers on this but uh they realized that it would be better that the given the incredible amount of material five directors all the movies they made during world war ii john ford frank capra william wyler um and John Huston and uh, Frank, you know, so they 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 basically uh, were uh, there was too much material, so they did it in three hours, you know, and and they they put it put it in three parts that make a lot of sense, and uh, it's cool because if you've read the book, um, you 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 know all that stuff can come to vivid cinematic life. I think it's an interesting up. point, though. I mean, I, I would expect a book like that, which takes a very long amount of time to research and create a narrative that not only spans decades, but also involves a huge cast of characters and a certain amount of historical context is perfectly suited for the episodic treatment that you can watch at home. I've been having so many interesting conversations with people, not only in the last few weeks or months, but in the last five to seven years, maybe, about the distinction between movies and TV and an ever-fragmented media landscape. And I think it's actually fascinating because certain things should not be series. Certain things do not belong in the episodic format. I was actually thinking about this a lot at South by Southwest, which is where I was while you were doing your Mexico That's thing, right. seeing people like your daughter high rolling with the uh, with the producer's <laughs> crowd, and she's got that, that uh, Gawker too. documentary that's a Netflix movie, so she's joined that crowd. Uh, yeah, apparently she had a great time, but, but uh, you know, it was really interesting because they have an episodic section. And it's programmed by the same people who program the film festival. And, uh, you know, you can see the distinction in some really clear ways, right? Because you have you have uh, American Gods or Dear White People. These were shows that kind of got their sneak peeks out of the bag with the South by Southwest crowd. But they were going to be TV series and they were going to get out there either way. The South by Southwest boost is more additive. It's sort of this conscious decision on the behalf of the people who are putting these shows out there to use that platform. Whereas the movies that I saw without that platform, it's questionable whether or not they would get out there at all. I mean, I'll give you a really good example. The, the film that won Best Documentary Grand Jury Prize is great. It's called The Work. It's a look inside a group therapy in, at, at Folsom Prison. Apparently twice a year at Folsom Prison, the group therapy program opens itself up to uh, non-inmates to take part. And they got this amazing access, which, you know, it's questionable how much they're playing it up for the camera. But to, to watch group therapy, that's basically like what Tony Robbins does with crowds, where he gets them to open up about their, 
you know, tortured childhood, but it feels more raw and authentic because you're seeing, you're hearing from people who, you know, are doing... Have done some bad things. Yeah, and some of them may never leave. And and so there's something fascinating about watching them, even if, you know, some of this stuff is staged and just kind of like letting their guard down and sobbing or brawling or whatever. That is not something that I would watch as a series because it's so brutal and uncomfortable after 10 minutes you know, you're, you're kind of demolished after 90. So I don't think I'd tune into the next episode. It's perfect. Exactly. That That is what a feature needs to be. Another good example. I am another you from a director named Nanfu Wang from China. She had a movie called Hooligan Sparrow last year that I was shortlisted that. for the Oscar. Yep. Yeah, it was very good. Um, but, but this one, she basically started shooting it years ago before she even made uh, I am uh, Hooligan Sparrow. She spent time living on the streets in between her time at film school in New York, following around a homeless guy in Florida. She lived on the streets with this homeless guy to try to understand what his motives were. He was a white guy who came from a certain amount of privilege in a Mormon family. He wasn't, you know, somebody who was forced into that existence. She probably found out he was mentally ill. Yeah, well, spoiler alert, but here's the thing. She parted ways with him after kind of realizing he was living a difficult life, went back to China, made Hooligan Sparrow, then goes back to Florida and finds the family. So the, the second and third chapters of, the, of this movie are more about how this happened. It's more of this kind of, you know, window into what are the, what are the forces behind the kind of psychological process under which somebody gets to this point. Now, you could argue that, you know, making a murderer style, you could force this formula into a 10-episode arc, but I think it just kind of gets away with the feature-length format to build that mystery out the way that it does. But she's a smart storyteller the way that she structures that story. So I thought that was that was a great one in terms of just, like, not knowing where this story was going. Now, I don't know who's going to put this movie out there commercially, I don't know what the prospects are. Nobody's picked up most of these movies. I would say the the best surprise that I had at South by, I'd love to see Aquino Lorber or somebody in sort of the foreign language side of things who knows how to kind of manage expectations with a smaller first time filmmaker would go for. It was called Bad Lucky Goat. It's from a first time filmmaker from Colombia, which, you know, some people may know I'm biased towards Colombian films, but this one was really strong. I mean, I talked to other, the, the few other people who did see this movie said it was also uh, one of their favorites. And uh, it's basically about uh, this brother and sister pair in a Caribbean island or some tropical island off the coast of Colombia who are bickering when they're driving a car and they hit a goat and they kill the goat and they spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out what to do with the body of this goat so that they don't get in trouble uh, when the owner of the goat finds out that they killed it. And it's like one of those things where it's like Ozu or something, where the, the plot is very simple, but the characters are just so well rendered and, and it's like really sweet kids, strong performances, something like that. So I'd love to see it get out there. There's not a big industry at a place like South by Southwest. So it's kind of ironic how, you know, on the TV side, there's this big marketing opportunity. But on the film side... You know, it's it's kind of a tougher sell. Whereas the studios can come there with something like Baby Driver from Edgar Wright, and um, it's like a perfect it's a marketing platform. launch. Yeah. So so Baby Driver was definitely uh, across the board the best thing I saw at South by Southwest. 
but clearly you know, very well received and yeah. and it's it, it just it, it the I, I was following from from afar on social media and and that was you know the the response appeared to be quite rapt but were you skeptical because i do wonder about you know i've i've been doing this consistently for 11 years where it's like i'm i'm at a festival and I don't know how the rest of the world is. I can only tell you how I'm seeing it around me. Around me, people were, were thrilled about these things, but you never really know how it's that that's going to translate across. Well, Twitter the country. works pretty effectively uh, for for getting the at least the the press reaction from from the people who are at the festival. Um, but there, you know, there have been films that we've seen a million times that get well received and then they don't play. But, yeah, um, that's true. I th- I think this one it, it's it's an interesting proposition because it's it's super fun and word of mouth should be strong. And I have to assume that uh, there's a good amount of people who are looking forward to uh, the next uh, Edgar Wright absolutely. movie. Absolutely. But the yeah. main star is Ansel Elgort, who's not the biggest marquee He's going name. To be. He's I going think to this be is his big moment. Harrison Ford. No, yeah. and that that, that you, <laughs> that's Alden Ehrenreich or however you say it. What did name. you say? No, Al, no, no, it's a different guy. It's Alvin um, Elgort. Yeah, exactly. I see. I see. No, he isn't a name. But you know, but uh, as as we've observed before, he should before, change his name. <laughs> a- Ansel Elgort is not Aldo Ehrenreich, but I think there is something fascinating about that because neither of those names are easy to say, and I feel like 20 years ago, those guys would have to change their names to have any kind of currency in our market, right? They'd be like Steve Smith or something. I mean, it just has to be something. John Hamm is like a perfect movie star name, (laughs) right? Like, we don't forget those things. But Or Jamie Foxx, for example. Both of those guys are in Baby Driver, but they're not the main stars. I mean, it's not stardom that drives a movie like this, but it's still, it's a weird movie in the sense that it's it's fun and fast, but it's also a little idiosyncratic in certain ways. Well, so that's what we want from Edgar Wright. Right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I had a blast with this movie. I think it's, uh, I can't wait for people to see it because it's, it's like. When is it's, it coming out? It's coming out in July. So, you know, there, there's going to be some other competition there from, from bigger things, but it's got the studio push. So I, I hope that, uh, it gets that kind of platform that, that it deserves. The other studio movie that was there of note is um, the, this Atomic Blonde film uh, from one of the uh, directors. Charlie Theron? Yeah, Charlie Theron with one of the directors from John Wick. Um, and uh, it's that was super fun. I had a more positive reaction to it than a lot of people. It's this Cold War era film with Theron as what we assume to be this this. British spy of sorts fighting against the Russians, which is topical again, uh, again, of course. But really, I mean, even though it has some tonal issues, it gets kind of slow in parts. It's like John le Carré, and then it becomes a big action movie every now and then. The action stuff totally makes it worthwhile. It's amazing to see how well she kicks ass. It's sort of like the potential you saw in Mad Max suddenly realized on a bigger scale some action stuff before well sure i mean look aeon flux was the first That's kind it, of right. uh, yeah but that didn't didn't work and out also, super well uh, the one with um peter berg and the universal movie with peter berg with uh what's his name i'm terrible uh bill smith <laughs> well they all kind of blur together right yeah, I mean that the 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 one with Peter Berg where Will Smith played a, an action hero but or a superhero but he couldn't quite make it work. I mean, it was terrible. It wasn't very good, exactly. I can't remember the so name. So finally she's in a movie that seems to be on her level, right? 
and, and it, it's even if it's not perfect, I think it does justice to the potential that you've seen in these lesser movies, like the one that you're trying to remember. And before this, at the end of this episode, we will we will remember what it is. But I want to call it Hamilton. <laughs> well, you're thinking about Hitch, but Hitch was not the 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 superhero movie that. Uh, that, that Will Smith was in. Not Hitch. No, no. It's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'm going to look it up now because <laughs> it's driving me crazy. But the other thing that, that, that has been kind of fascinating to see, you know, on the bigger on the bigger spectrum of things, on the Hollywood side of things, is the movies that seem to be making good money at the box office right now. I mean, outside of South by Southwest stuff, I mean, those things will come out later and we'll see whether or not South by Southwest reaction was the appropriate barometer for the success. But, but we have four big movies that yeah. are just dominating. It's like, the, wait a minute, is it is it office. summer in the yeah. middle of... No, uh... Beauty and the Beast was huge. I mean, it was just record-breaking for this period of the year. And then, but, we, but it has three movies ahead of it that already Logan has scored i mean the, here they went r rated they 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 got great reviews god forbid they went with human characters they didn't overwhelm you with violence and action i mean it was there was plenty but they didn't overwhelm you with it and a kick-ass little girl and an aging father figure in, in Charles Xavier. And then, and then, you know, you're actually getting Oscar talk for Logan. And then you have uh, Get Out, which is huge. They're talking Oscars for Get Out, too. We are, exactly. I think it <laughs> At least for a now. screenplay. A Anything's screen, possible. <laughs> a screenplay is what I suspect it could actually get. But, um, I mean, these open too early in the year to, to really be... Uh, I mean, Beauty and the Beast will get, we'll get some... VF. And, and stuff. you know, also huge draw with uh, women. Um, and then there was this, uh, there was this MPA, and then King Kong Skull Island, which I have to confess was hugely entertaining. Uh, not, not going to be on my top ten of the year or anything. <laughs> I wish it was a better movie. It was I, th- I, I, t- I tell you what, what's what's kind of troubling about that movie is that. The things that work about it are so obvious. Like, oh wow, you guys really did watch Apocalypse Now on loop and then write storyboards no, to mimic every detail. But that. hey, the the bobblehead of Richard Nixon as the helicopter crashes. I mean, you know, the, you got to give some good points stuff to that. Going on, there sure. was good stuff. And Tom Hiddleston was in on the joke, and he was fun. And Brie Larson was game. And, you know, and that you, you, you watched, you know, it had that Jurassic Park element where you saw, you know, when is that person going to get killed and how, you know, how I just wish, flicks. you know what, Samuel L. Jackson needs to be a little bit more cautious about the kinds of roles. Anybody could have played that Samuel L. Jackson role. He was so over the top in a movie in which, you know, Brie Larson is, is trying to do something kind of funny and subtle. I found when that very distracting. do the close-ups of him fiercely staring, you know, defying Kong, and then the close-up back. I mean, it's just like, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West or something. It was with absurd. With the two heads, you know? I thought that was great. I thought and he could carry that off. Yeah, but, but there was, it, it, was, it, it didn't make is sense. Is he doing it too much? Yes. Yes, I agree Yeah, and then that. he goes and he bashes the star of Get Out for being non-American or whatever. Oh, he's so. been politically incorrect for a long time, Samuel uh, Jackson. He's I, I getting theoretically into love Samuel Jackson. I wish, I, I want more from him. I want more from him. It's been a long time since Pulp Fiction, and I feel like this is a 
one of the great underutilized American I actors. I agree, and he showed some of what he could do in "I Am Not Your Negro" when he That's didn't true. even resemble. There, there's Sandra a real Jackson. performance. That he, is a real. There is vocal a real actor there, and and Hollywood is just using him the way they often use Morgan Freeman. You know, the 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 powerful, strong character actor with uh, incredible danger to him and strength. I think the, the, the idea of the paycheck job in Hollywood is something that we don't talk about enough and, and maybe it could be scrutinized more. I mean, I was enjoying our, our colleague David Ehrlich's hilarious review of the new Power Rangers movie, which we won't be seeing this weekend. Neither he, of us? There, he, he mentions that Bill Hader voiced some stupid robot or whatever, and uh, I was like, what the hell is Bill Hader doing in this movie? But... Collecting what? a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. Is it going to hurt him? I don't know. No, you can get question. away with it on an animated film because nobody knows that it's you necessarily. Right. Exactly. You know, it, it it it's it's harm it's harmless. But but it it I I think you're right about Samuel Jackson. But again, he you know I, he, they used him again in that Tarzan movie in a <laughs> yes, similar way, exactly. and and it Copy sort of and ruined paste. the movie. It so was, Beauty and the Beast, I have not seen. But I do feel like, based on what I've heard about this movie, that I have seen a lot of it because I saw the trailer and I know the original. What am I missing? That's it, right? What is, what's interesting, I mean, Bill uh, Desowitz is writing about this. It's interesting that you can have these hybrid movies that are half animated and half live action. Like, right, what is in it In the even? case of The Jungle Book, the whole thing is, is animated except for the little boy. Um, who's running around on a soundstage, you know, interacting with God knows what. So with Favreau, mostly <laughs> the director, John Favreau. But um, so you basically are able to do these amazing things. But I'll tell you, the 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 musical sequences in Condon has the ability to do both uh, you know, a musical, which he knows how to do because he did, you know, wrote Chicago and directed Dream Girls. Um, you know, he can do this sort of action with a lot of digital effects, which he did in uh, Twilight and the last two of the series. And he can do uh, romance. He can do that. But kind he of, did he you know, do any of that stuff as a director in a movie that's that faithful? I'm asking sincerely because it sounds like it's super faithful to the original. I mean, how much is, faithful, is it him? What versus... they did, what they did was add. No, he had he had to he had to fight for the actual sets that they built. You know, that are not digital. So there 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 there's a real village. There's a real castle. He had to fight for all of that because he knew that all these pixelated characters would be running around and. And that he needed to anchor the whole thing in some kind of reality. I mean, those are the decisions that he had. You know, he had to cast it. Everybody in the movie sings for real, mostly on pre-recorded tracks, except Kevin Klein, who sings live because he's quiet. If it's a quiet, it's like La La Land. If it's a quiet, intimate scene, you can get away with live singing. Um, and then, and then, uh, you know, I think they all did a good job. I, it's really entertaining. They, okay, so they go when you broke with the musical numbers, like be our guest. Of course they do. They, they have to. But, but when you Google Beauty and the Beast, just to be clear, this new movie comes comes up, right? I remember thinking how fascinating it was when Birth of a Nation got a bunch of buzz out of Sundance. That if you Googled it for a little while. Uh, the D.W. Griffith film was not the first thing that came up. That changed. But right now, I, I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had, which we don't have to get into in depth, about 
this this ethical question of replacing or somehow complicating the uh, official canon. Enlarging. Here. I mean, you could go back and say Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast is the one that everybody should remember. But that was I mean, never an easy favorite. sell. Those are fundamentally different movies. That's a right? beautiful. It's such. You a can't show that to a five-year-old. It's such a beautiful film. But but and I loved the animated version of Beauty and the Beast, which was actually nominated for Best Picture because right. they hadn't created the animated category yet. I loved it so much I thought it would win Best Picture. I rewatched it on a plane recently. Of. I mean, it's it's astonishing how subdued it is. It's almost like a like gothic horror in parts for what it is. I mean, it's a really incredible mood piece and also very short. You know, which yeah, is yeah. Well, that's what they are; those animated films. But, but so they've en- they've enlarged it, and they've enlarged it in a, in what some people would would say is a gargantuan, overwrought way, because it's a it's a it's a hundred and sixty five million dollar movie, and if you adjust the grosses on all these films, it is uh, all the musicals of all time. You know, what was the most expensive musical of all time? It was Hello Dolly, Man. and in. In today's dollars, that movie, too, would cost $165 million. Well, okay, so fine. Money isn't everything, but we'll so, see. So you could argue. I want to see what you think of it. I, I will get to it. You're it's, not the target audience. <laughs> I'm not. That's true. I'm not the target audience, but I do like, I like certain kinds of musicals. I like and Some of the great thing. songs are in there, and, yeah. and uh, you know, it's it's fun. So I'm going to take a break from all kinds of Hollywood stuff. This weekend, as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to Mexico City uh, for a couple of days. I'm going to check out Ambulante, which is the traveling documentary film festival in Mexico that uh, Gal Garcia Bernal and uh, Diego Luna started, I think, about 12 years ago, something like that. So I'm looking forward to that. It's not quite uh, the in-depth Mexico experience of your Guadalajara expedition, but I'm hoping to see... You'll get to, to practice see... your Spanish yeah. a little bit. It's organic. I know how to make sure that a street vendor isn't going to make me sick. Let's put it that way. I can Good work my you. way through those sorts of things. <laughs> uh, but but I, but I am looking forward to, to doing that because it's, it's a bit of a quieter period for us right now. I'm in between South by Southwest and the Tribeca Film Festival, which is going to tip right over into Cannes. And then we're in the summer movie season and we just keep rolling straight ahead to uh, the fall and, and, and all the Oscar stuff that entails. So it's sort of like my, my nice little window to exploit an opportunity to, to do something different. So next week I'm going to have all kinds of other stuff to talk about. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll find some other things to pick up on as well. But I'll be heading for CinemaCon. Exactly. Exhibit. That, that, that's going to be the big headline is are the movie theaters dead or not? And Thompson explains it all. So well, stay tuned for that. And, and, and before I let you go, the Peter Berg movie is Hancock. So. It had an H. <laughs> you it were on the right track. I said Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. I, knew, I knew you were on the right track. This is we how an aged brain functions. Yeah. <laughs> well, we knew there was a memory in there somewhere. Anyway, I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.